0: I swear, if you give me any grief over the next 60 minutes, I swear to God, I'll kill you. Dead. Murdered. Oh, Thor, mighty god of thunder.
1: Who is this kid?
2: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the i the Intermillennium Media Project podcast. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and we've returned to the 1980s. Ah, oh, such a time for cinema. Come back to a movie, not, not that magical year of 1984, but another pretty good year, which is 1987. Yeah, 87 had some interesting things, didn't it? It did. It did, and it's this. This just makes the uh, the cutoff for what's in bounds for our uh, our podcast. That's the year I graduated college, so um, uh, ah. it's kind of the cutoff of, of the end of my youth, I guess.
3: There's this. There's this void in between you graduating college and me coming into existence, <laughs> which we cannot touch.
2: Well, this is why we have those out of bounds shows on the on the uh, Patreon
3: feed. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but of course, it would be quite the adventure to go find those, or not. It's easier to find us on Patreon at Intermillennium Media Project. But if you're looking for adventures, yes, uh,
2: this is
3: <laughs> this is a movie you showed to me early.
2: I did show this to you a while ago, didn't I?
3: Yes, this is one where it was like I got I I almost want to say like early early high school middle school age-ish? That,
2: that sounds about right. That's probably a good age to see this movie.
3: Yeah, this one was right, at, uh, right on time. I've, <laughs> I've, I've followed in your footsteps and watched things I shouldn't at that same sort of time, but this was around that time, and it was the right kind of movie. And the movie we're talking about is
2: Adventures in Babysitting.
1: Oh, goodness.
2: This uh, was written by David Simpkins and directed by Chris Columbus. Oh, goodness. This is Chris Columbus. It is, who went on to direct such things as Home Alone and a few of the Harry Potter movies. And also Young Sherlock Holmes, which we have covered here on the podcast.
3: Yes, he did Young Sherlock Holmes. He actually did Young Sherlock Holmes like just before this, I believe, right? I believe so, yes. Was he director on that, or...? I believe so. That might have been his, his debut as a feature no, film director. No, 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 no. This was his debut. Oh. He was a writer on Young Sherlock Holmes. He didn't direct that. Oh, okay. This was his directorial debut. But it feels like the right kind of thing. <laughs> it does. This has and his style.
2: They all swirl together. And speaking of style, this being set in and around this sort of mythicized version of Chicago... I keep thinking somewhere in the back of my mind that it's a John Hughes film, but it's not John Hughes it's had nothing not. to do with this
3: yeah this 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 is Hughesian in a way that's <laughs> unexpectedly poignant but no this is this is a little bit of that chris columbus moment to moment chaos kind of feeling that scene to scene sequencing in that certain way where it's like. Okay, we moved from a situation into another situation. How can this one go awry? And then it moves to the next one that will go awry. In a way that does reach a satisfying conclusion. But it's all all 90 degree turns.
2: (laughs) Every time I watch this movie, I, I have a different reaction to it. I liked it so much when I first saw it. And I've never not enjoyed it, viewing it again. But it always strikes me in different ways, maybe because it is so much a thing of its time and I'm responding differently depending on who I am and when it is that I'm watching it again.
3: Similarly, every time I've seen this, and I've watched this a few times since, a different character feels like the focus character. Oh, that's interesting. I can like, see where that would be though. Because this this movie, in taking our characters through this, it's a crew of four. Mm-hmm. It's Chris Parker, played by Elizabeth Shue. It's Brad Anderson and his little sister, Sarah, played by Keith Coogan and Maya Bruton. And it's Daryl Coopersmith, played by Anthony Rapp, which I'm bewildered because I've seen Rapp in so many things (laughs) since. Yes, yes. And just seeing him play this character in the early days is so wild.
2: Yeah, he has such a distinctive style. And such a, um, even at that age, he had this comic timing and this comic sense that it was a potentially very, very unlikable character who nevertheless had you rooting
3: for him somehow. Yeah, he he plays the likable, awful guy. (laughs) Yes. But not the bad guy. There are bad guys. And interestingly enough, there is one guy who is kind of... The worst guy, and that's played by Bradley Whitford. <laughs> yes, we also get a run, young, a young Bradley Whitford, um, yes.
2: playing a high school senior, a little a few years later than he should be playing a high school senior. I think,
3: yeah, but still, and that's, that's uh, we've got John Ch- John Chandler as a mob <laughs> boss. This yes, is just wildly full of heavy hitters, both f- former or like towards the end of their career and early in their career.
2: And that's one of the things that makes the movie work so well, is that casting. Everything about this movie is unbelievable, but you keep following it. You're invested because the cast is so good and because they are so well-suited to the roles. And that's all of our leads, as you describe, but also some of these smaller supporting roles. They just fit together. They make this bizarre world seem more real. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in some countries, this film is called A Night on the Town. Because that gives it is. Such
1: a- different feeling <laughs> doesn't
2: it but yes like it, maybe it's in countries where babysitting per se isn't the thing that that it is mm-hmm. in the u.s but it is this story of a somewhat fantastical journey through chicagoland uh, a magical uh, land of <laughs> chicago yes a nocturnal journey yeah uh, but it all starts because elizabeth shoe's character her her boyfriend, with whom she is infatuated, cancels their big fancy date. We see her getting mm-hmm. ready for this big fancy date with a terrific lip sync sequence, uh, and then Bradley Whitford shows up at the door looking all sad, and now uh, his little sister's sick, so he has to cancel their date.
3: If you've never seen this movie, you might have seen a parody of the opening of this movie, because that opening with the lip sync is something I've seen Referenced other places,
2: and in general, the the '80s teen movie lip sync sequence is such a, a repeated trope. Mm-hmm. But it's done. I think it's used well, and it's done well here. But she's just depressed. She has nowhere to be that night. When a neighbor asks if they if she can babysit for them because their usual sitter canceled, she he says she's too old for babysitting. But why not? She can be depressed there as easily as, as she can be depressed at home. So, yeah. so she she goes ahead and decides to uh, to go and babysit, and that's when we start to see the kids that she has to deal with.
3: Brad is the older brother in the Anderson uh, siblings, and he is a younger kid who is absolutely infatuated with Chris, a high school senior.
2: Yes, so he's, he's head over heels for cross. her, but yeah. They're, they're not quite at the same age, little in the same league.
3: Exactly. Meanwhile, his little sister, Sarah, is obsessed with this obscure Marvel character. Or not obscure, but Marvel Comics character called Thor. Yes, not an a yeah.
2: character back in 1987. No. But a very distinctive character. Mm-hmm. So she is the Thor is just the coolest character in the world. She she roller skates around with a plastic Thor helmet on her head. Spends
3: the entire movie with this plastic Thor helmet and a little tiny plastic hammer. <laughs> yes, and she has a little meal near.
2: Spends all of her time drawing pictures of Thor. This is just the the coolest thing in the world.
3: I do appreciate just to just to. Snap forward in time to the pre- present day. I do appreciate that Disney Plus can now suggest the Thor movies <laughs> after yes. you watch this.
2: Yeah, it's, it doesn't seem as odd for a, you know, a kid to think Thor is a cool character, uh, unless they didn't like Love and Thunder that it did in 1987. Oh, yeah. Uh, and of course, there's the usual sibling tension between, um, sarah and uh, and brad but then as you mentioned we've got anthony rapp as daryl who's the kind of wisecracking a little bit smarmy but very bright friend of brad
1: mm-hmm.
2: it seems like it's going to be a normal run-of-the-mill evening of babysitting mm-hmm. until chris gets a collect call At the home uh, at which she is babysitting, and this is from her friend Brenda, and we know Brenda's home life is not great. We saw them chatting, but Brenda has run away from home. She's at the bus stop, the bus station in Chicago, and all of this so far is taking place out in the safe suburbs of Chicago. But Brenda has decided she's too dangerous. She's made a f- horrible decision. She doesn't want to run away from home, but she has no way to get back. Can Chris come and pick her up in at the bus station in downtown Chicago?
3: Which is kind of funny because Brenda literally was pushing her to take the babysitting job <laughs> yes. earlier that day and now is asking her to ditch the babysitting job <laughs> to help her. Brenda really is the instigator and problem. She is. At, for a large part of this.
2: And this is one of those plots that simply would not exist. Thank you. Except for the fact that for teenagers in 1987, there were no cell phones and it was a an, an entirely cash economy. So Brenda well. can't take a cab back home because neither she nor Chris has the cash to pay for the cab. Exactly. Um, None of them have cell phones or anything like that. So much of it, so much of the plot is driven by needing cash money and not having ready communications.
3: Ah, another film (laughs) whose plot has crumbled in the face (laughs) of digital infrastructure.
2: This is why, you know, the part of the country where we live is not a bad place to set adventure or mystery stories because it is quite plausible that you take one more curve around a mountain road and suddenly you don't have cell service
3: yeah we kind of we're one of the places where this can still happen (laughs) in that weird way but you know in exchange for uh, babysitting being a possibly less exciting job, you have you fine audience have obtained wonderful things like podcasts. I hope we are in equal trade. Yeah, we're we're probably not selling the Rocky Mountains as a good
2: place to live. If, if one of our big points is you know you never know when you're going to be totally out of communication with the civilized world, that is a point of
3: positive for some people. I guess so. Ah, uh, but. Chris is a good friend, and the kids are all excited to go on an an adventure, so they kind of nudge her in the direction of, everyone pile into the car, we're gonna save Brenda, and then we'll get home, and your parents won't even know we did it.
2: Yeah, she's really stuck that, you know, she can't just leave Brenda out there to die, she has to look after these kids, so as you say, they they all get into the car, and of course Daryl comes along, because he sees what's happening and knows that well you know i'm sure that uh mr mr and mrs anderson are going to be very interested in the fact that you've taken their kids brad and sarah all the way into chicago when you're supposed to be here babysitting (laughs) like he says you know well i'll tell i'll tell my mom and maybe you can babysit for me sometime and we can i don't know drive to new york some weekend
3: (laughs) exactly (laughs) He is absolutely awful, but it follows the hero's journey. We've got a, we've got a standard uh, everyday life. We've got a call to adventure. We've got a denial of the call. And now they're going on the quest.
2: <laughs> and it's as, as ill-advised as this might be, it should be fairly simple to drive downtown, pick up Brenda, and bring her home. Exactly. But, of course, it's not quite that simple.
3: Nope, they get onto the highway, they get onto the interstate, and pop a tire. And they, this is the this tire is the the start of the snowball of, of of chaos that they will they will go through.
2: There is a little bit of the problem of the story being driven not by until and therefore. But being driven by the and then, and then, just stacking mm-hmm. event on top of event without that causal connection.
3: It usually, takes a little bit further to be yeah. because. Right.
2: And usually that's a bit of, that's a more of a problem in movies. I think the fact that this keeps the pace going. And the whole point of this movie, the tone of it is, how, what could possibly make this worse? Not. What is this going to lead to? So it's not a formula that works all the time, but it seems to work in this movie because yeah, they they the tire blows out. They manage to get the car onto the shoulder, uh, without any damage or or harm to anybody inside, and they don't have a spare. A. A tow truck driver shows up, who seems pretty scary at first, but then turns out to be a very generous and friendly guy. Handsome John Pruitt. <laughs> yeah, Handsome John Pruitt. He's one of the real heroes,
3: though not he's, entirely a heroic character. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, absolutely. And he's <laughs> he's an interesting guy, because he's got, like, the absolute crazy madman <laughs> laugh, and he's missing a hand. Yes. So he's, he's this you know... <laughs> Guy with a hook, and they've just been telling each other little horror stories in the car, possibly to calm their nerves, which I don't understand why they were doing it. But it means they're all primed to freak out when they see a guy missing a hand. (laughs)
2: So he offers to tow them to uh, Dawson's garage. He'll pay for them to get a new tire that'll get them home because, you know, it wouldn't be right to leave kids out here. Uh, defend for yourselves. So it seems like okay, this was an exciting incident. We should not have done this, but at least this ha- uh, this this friendly guy is going to help us. Until a radio call call comes in from Dawson telling uh Pruitt that you know that guy is over at your house
3: with your wife once again. Yes. And that was from Dawson, right? Yeah, it was. Cuz do you know who was voicing Dawson? yes
2: yes because we yeah. see him later on yeah vincent d'onofrio a
3: continuing we keep on getting <laughs> big names we do so this is one of those voices i almost recognized <laughs> thing i'm like wait a minute
2: and i didn't remember that it was in fact i know i knew d'onofrio was in this as dawson i didn't remember that he was the one who made that radio call
3: but yeah. it worked it works
2: but this, of course, changes the plans because uh, Pruitt it goes a little bit crazy. He changes course to head home. He pulls a gun out of the glove compartment and rushes into the house. And there's this giant argument and shootout in Pruitt's house.
3: And outside of Pruitt's house, as the bullets go flying and break the window of their already <laughs> flat-tired car. Right. Right.
2: So, and this, I guess we do have some of those, you know, uh, therefore type things, you know, because this is happening and their car is not safe, they run down the block and get into another car. Just, they happen to find a car with the door open. So they're safe. Until they see the guy in the uh, the driver's seat and realize that he's in the process of stealing this car.
3: So, so now they're in a car being driven away by a car thief. The car. (laughs) owned by the guy who was at john pruitt's house actually <laughs> yes. just yeah, to we add layers to later. This. <laughs> yeah
2: that the world does stay a certain limited size yeah. in that way
3: it, i have compared many a show many a movie in on this podcast to like a tabletop role-playing game this has that feeling going scene from scene. It also sometimes has that feeling in the I only have so many painted minis. <laughs> so this is the same guy and everyone will roll with it. Because uh, <laughs> people sense. will show back up. People have weird connections. Well,
2: let's just pull out that character sheet again. and uh... Uh, Yep. <laughs> so this introduces them to, to Joe Gipp, played by Calvin Levels, who is... A kind-hearted criminal. Uh,
0: just Such a trope.
2: Yeah, his job is boosting cars and bringing them to this mob-run chop shop, but at the same time, he's not going to leave these kids uh, out where they can, you know, where they're in in this horrible neighborhood. He's going to see what he can do to get them to safety, so he winds up bringing them back to the chop shop, because he just can't think of anything else to do. Yeah, there's but, a
3: little bit of an, I'm safe there, so you'll be safe there.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's not necessarily thinking this through, but he means well. And exactly. of course, the uh, the mobsters who run this place are not very happy, because now there are all these civilians who've seen their operation, and they can't just be allowed to
3: leave. Mm-hmm. And But he also does immediately respect and like them, because while they're all obviously scared, he Chris, his, her first response is, You're not gonna hurt the kids. Yes. And he's just realizing, you're this scared, but you're more but you're gonna take the job seriously and protect them. And then he watches as she just absolutely keeps all the other three in line. And there's this like, Okay, I can respect you, you know what you're doing, you know. You're you're in over your head, but you've got a a good head on those shoulders, so
2: and that is the consistent theme, the consistent trait of this character of Chris is that she she'll be frightened, she'll be panicked, but she is always focused on the safety of these kids. Exactly. And 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 they are, you know, Daryl's sense of humor notwithstanding, they are good kids. They're a handful, but they're good kids, mm-hmm. and. Some of the humor comes from seeing these suburban kids of limited experience try to deal with the people they, um, they encounter in Chicago. And there's repeatedly people pointing out, you must be from the suburbs, or them saying, well, we're from the suburbs, and you know that's not a surprise to anybody in Chicago. But, for example, Daryl is saying, well, you don't have to worry. We promise we are not going to tell anybody about your criminal operation here. In fact, and I'm sorry, this is not Daryl. This is uh, this is Brad. This is Brad. Brad's saying, well, we could write up an agreement. We'll sign it. We could bring it to a notary public. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He's getting a little panicky. And when he panics, he comes up with solutions. Not good solutions, but solutions.
3: there's such an absolute like hi I know we'll explain that you're breaking the system by trusting the system to 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 verify our agreement that we won't say you're breaking it Uh, wait a minute
2: (laughs) Mm. and that leads us to another uh, kind of suspense or action scene because the kids are put into like an upstairs office to uh, until the bosses can figure out what to do with them and they take the uh, the opportunity to escape but they escape by walking across rafters up in the ceiling up up in the uh the top of the the building with all of the the chop shop and the mobsters right down below
3: mm-hmm. but daryl also steals a magazine
2: yes he does that's an um, a a recurring MacGuffin, not the mcguffin but a recurring MacGuffin is this copy of Playboy magazine. Yeah. Which Daryl was was talking to Brad about before because he had stolen his father's copy of it. And like the the centerfold, he insisted was a an absolute lookalike for Chris. Which becomes an awkward like... <laughs> it does. An awkward plot point later. But because Brad had thrown away his dad's copy he stole the copy from
3: the, the mobsters And they escape but turns out the mobsters took notes and they that took they notes need in, in the magazine in that copy, <laughs> which of all the pla- like what in the world are these mobsters doing
2: so now they the mobsters are concerned not just about the fact that there are these kids who could testify i guess but they had a written record of their you know criminal orders and who their clients were and could bring the whole operation down yeah, so now it becomes not just how do we get home and how do we save Brenda, but how do we escape these mobsters who are pursuing us?
3: The, the, yeah, the mobsters are coming after them and they I'm trying to remember the rest because this is where you get like little vignettes almost as they run from place to place. And the main ones I can think of are they wind up in a nightclub <laughs> in a blues club.
2: Yeah, they run in through the stage door just to get off the street. So being pursued. And they wind up on stage
3: in a blues club in Chicago. And this is one of those classic scenes because ain't nobody get out of here without singing the blues.
2: (laughs) Yes. That's what the the band leader tells them.
3: Nobody leave this
2: place without singing the blues. They got to sing the blues. They want to get off that stage. Which of all the reasons in an 80s movie to have a (laughs) musical number. But it evolves. It's not. I wouldn't say it's believable, but it's kind of organic the way it evolves. Because she just starts, she, she's given a microphone. So she just starts telling everybody what
3: kind of a night they've had. Oh, that is one thing we've seen. Every single time, they are honest and open. They always yes. give their names. They always explain what's going on. Uh-huh. And they always say, they introduce themselves with full names to the mobsters. <laughs> they introduce themselves with full names to handsome John Pruitt, even when he was scaring them. Yep. They never cut any of it there's like hi here's who i am open and honest and when they're put in front of a mic that same open honesty turns into the basis for the song that's a great it's point actually part of a pattern
2: yeah they they meet so many new people and they are totally honest about
3: who they are and what situation they're in hi i'm chris parker and i'm brad anderson it's, it's like <laughs> last names and everything mm-hmm. but That's the setup that kind of makes it believable that they would just start telling the entire story and it turns into babysitting blues.
2: It does because she just starts telling the story and after every sentence, the the band throws in a blues riff.
3: Another
2: sentence, another blues riff. She pauses and they have a little fill as they go into a chorus. And next thing you know, in this weirdly believable way, within this context they are doing a whole full musical number with chris singing lead and the kids doing backup and the band supporting them it's just it's it's absurd but it's fun because the rest the movie so far had earned it
3: one of my favorite parts of babysitting blues is that after account- encountering a mere half of all the things they are going to deal with the song includes the assumption that brenda's probably dead (laughs) (laughs) they just like i was going to get my friend brenda we not we're uh, we've not gotten to her we might have lost her and it's just (laughs) suddenly in in the main thing it's like uh, the girl's probably dead
2: (laughs) we should be in bed and the girl's probably dead exactly it's like (laughs) how Because we do occasionally cut back to Brenda's adventures at the bus station. Yes. They are... Uh, I could do without a lot of those. I guess they need same. to include those sometime just to to maintain the fact that there's still that pre-existing tension. Brenda's in danger. And apart from surviving, Chris and the kids have to rescue Brenda. But it's a lot of... A lot of it is... The humor of portraying homeless people as insane yeah it a lot of it is um brenda well brenda loses her glasses without which she can barely see and therefore she mistakes everything else around her and has difficulty navigating and she doesn't have any cash so she can't even buy a hot dog and
3: it's there's a little bit of a mini mr magoo going on yeah
2: I could do I can understand why they need it. I could do with a lot less of Brenda's adventures
3: in bus station land. She kind of becomes the the interstage cutscenes yeah. to maintain the Brenda meter.
2: <laughs> That's true. Without those cutaways, the rapid sequence of events that Chris and the kids go through might seem a little bit too much. We need that pause mm-hmm. every once in a while, so I guess it
3: works for pacing as well. Uh, Brenda becomes loading time. <laughs> but babies and blues is amazing and i do love that having bonded with these kids the immediate way that they get away from the mobsters is ain't nobody leave here without singing the blues (laughs) yeah the mobsters follow them but the rules are the rules (laughs) the rules are the rules so you can just imagine that there must be like the mob blues (laughs) as an entire cut scene or something or like these mobsters have to sing as well
2: i wonder i wonder i mean the mobsters could have forced their way out some other way but at least the blues guys delayed them and gave chris and the kids a chance to escape (laughs) exactly (laughs) but yeah that's one of the high points of the movie i think is that musical number
3: that musical number is excellent
2: and it also confirms that you know if if you hadn't really been on board before then once you get that musical number, you know this is a fable. This is a fantastical story. This is not attempting to be any kind of a naturalistic portrayal about kids in trouble in Chicago. It is a weird fantasy adventure that happens to be set in this mythical city of Chicago, full of danger and injury. Yeah. Chicago
3: is the Fey Realm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this, this strange man, magical land with its own rules <laughs> and 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 uh controlling powers but they they run off they wind up at they wind up in a train station and on train yeah in a gang fight
2: trying to get back to to where Brenda is they're in a train that is the 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 site of a an impending rumble between two gangs
3: which does result in the scene that uh the most modern versions you can get modify the line but this is where they do have the one uh, main expletive moment of don't don't beep with the babysitter.
2: It's I thought it was just that one, but watching it again, there's an earlier scene when when they're deciding to walk across the rafters to escape the chop shop. Daryl thinks this is insane. In the version you would see on Disney Plus or, or a current copy of it, he says. You've got to be kidding me. He doesn't say kidding in the original.
0: He uses an expletive. And says it twice in a row.
2: And then, I'm pulling out a card here that I wrote wrote things on one of my index cards. He also, um, early, early on, when we first are meeting Brad and Sarah, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Brad gets Sarah really, really angry
0: by insulting Thor. In
2: the current version, he says Thor is a weirdo. In the original version, that's not the word he used for Thor. He used oh. a a slur involving sexual orientation. Oh. I can understand I can understand them removing that if they want to continue circulating this movie in in uh, yeah. 2024 and it's not like usually i'm very much against changing the original an original movie put it in in context of its time and watch it as it was made for a movie like adventures in babysitting if they want to make it accessible and make it enjoyable by changing a word like that to weirdo
3: i have no problem with that yeah that's that's one that should that it's understandable to change
2: and then there's what the one that you mentioned where you know there's the line in the new version is well, that one of the gangs is the Lords of Hell, mm-hmm. so a member of the Lords of Hell says, don't fool with the Lords of Hell, and yeah, <laughs> in the original, he used language that you would more expect somebody from the Lords of Hell to use and she responds it's the fact
3: that, it's the fact that she grabs his knife yes. and then says back don't don't fool with the babysitter is such a wild power move it is and there's kind of this um once again chris is defensive and protect the people under her care attitude yes keep getting respect out of the hardest people in Chicago. That's what you see. This is a
2: lioness, and you do not want to mess with her and her charges, especially. Bingo. And, and the reason she was able to grab the knife that belonged to this guy from the Lords of Hell is that the, um, the guy had just flipped it into the foot of Brad. So Brad had a knife in his
0: foot. Yeah. Brad got Brad
2: got stabbed. (laughs) He did. And that leads to a hospital sequence in which Brad gets one stitch, which kind of disappoints him as he puts it. My one chance to be in a gang fight and all I get is one stitch.
3: This also is my one of my favorite characters. The most beleaguered (laughs) doctor. A
2: ER doctor in a university hospital in Chicago. He sees things (laughs) at that hour of night.
3: This is the best like haunted man do it just trying to do his (laughs) job i've ever seen on screen he's just like oh oh no (laughs) it's like somehow he's functional but always perpetually about to faint
2: and that also leads to a a mistaken identity or mistaken reporting where they briefly think that brad has died from his toe wound but it turns out he's alive and you get that little bit of catharsis from
3: for the characters there lords of hell with their poisoned knives I guess what the heck I guess so yeah but no he, he, he walks out to find everyone mourning his demise and he's okay and this is where we learn that
2: the, the car that was stolen by um, by Joe Gibb is uh, belonged to the guy who was fooling around with
3: Pruitt's wife because he's there and sees the kids and wants his car back Well, actually, the guy had run out and tried to get the car back and then was punched in the face by John Pruitt. So we'd seen earlier. Oh, that's right.
2: We had seen him.
3: him. Yeah. Well, they're both there, though. (laughs) And this is where they reunite with John Pruitt for a moment, who gets to tell them, I fixed your windshield, I shot, but you're going to have to pay for the tire. It's at the garage that I was telling you I'd bring it to. You can get your car there. And they don't have the 50 bucks for the car. Nope. For the, the tire. And it is a cash economy. You need you need money on hand.
2: And this is where Daryl and his, his poor decision making and his poor instincts actually lead them, them in a useful direction. Yeah. Because here they are in the University of Chicago area and he noticed there's, there's a party going on in this house that they happen to be in front of so he's going to go into the college party and Chris and the rest have to follow him.
3: This is another instance though where going into the college party, we like the opening bits where they're setting up before the trip has so many tiny things that come into importance later. Yes, yes. From the magazine to the Thor to the fact that Chris is trying to decide if she's gonna go to college after graduation. Right. And so here she is kind of thrust in her journey into a college environment.
2: Oh, and one thing we didn't mention is what we learn about her boyfriend, Bradley Whitford.
3: We have already heard some chit-chat in the car about the fact that her boyfriend beat up and was mean to mostly Daryl. But in Daryl trying to tease his friend about his crush, the discussion topic comes up. Yes. About her boyfriend and the fact that he's a jerk.
2: And she doesn't want to believe bad things about him, but you sort of get the impression she's, she doesn't think this is totally unlikely. She's just infatuated to ignore some of this evidence. But at this party, they meet a lot of weird people. There's this, again, it's sort of another little mythical stronghold, which has danger, but also has respite in uh in this journey that they're on and chris meets a really charming handsome uh a college student who is very taken with her as well
3: and daryl actually does have an interaction too he tries (laughs) to be one of the guys with these college kids and thinks that things are going his way only to wind up Having a heart, heart, heart conversation with another person, with yes. one of the girls there, he thought he was going to pick up and kind of just spending a portion of the rest of the movie in this little bit of a bewildered state <laughs> where all of his bravado and his horn dog comments and all of that aren't the thing that. Yes. was important when he actually got into the little mythical sanctuary of the things he expects. It was the fact that he could be a person someone could talk to was actually the important thing. And he kind of calms down a little Yeah, and possibly spends the rest of the movie assessing some stuff. Prior to this, his, his glibness and his utter lack of
2: self-awareness were kind of his superpowers. And this yeah. was sort of a he evolved into another form by having a real conversation and having somebody who was was older but not a grown up wanting to have a conversation with him. It's, he, you're right, he learned something from that. So, it's Not what he was expecting,
3: Brad, but he learned something. Yeah, Br- Brad's kind of mopey at this point because he's seeing Chris, who he's still got this massive crush on, kind of getting into this environment and actually being okay she can brush off the 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 more awful the more daryl at his worst of the people there Mm -hmm. but she's actually kind of making connections with some of these people who are the people she might be attending colleges with in the future and so brad's not doing great but daryl learns a little something and that's part of where he gets to grow in all of this. And Chris is possibly assessing how she can grow. Yeah. And this is where we start seeing the, the transformative properties of the journey really hit our characters. Yes.
2: And with Chris, it's less she's, she changes. It's more that she learns more about herself and what her value is and what she should mm-hmm. do with that. Brad has also learned things and earlier on he gets up the courage to tell Chris how he feels about her and he's shot down yeah you're so, just a kid yeah you get the impression that he that was very painful but it was necessary and he's learned something mm-hmm. he's, he's gotten over that and after that he can relate to Chris more as a person than as this than as an object of, of infatuation
3: and that's important but it's still, he's not taking everything great. No, he's hes sad, but he's learned. Mm-hmm. This also gives Sarah a chance to use the restroom. This is one of those few adventure movies where someone has to run to the restroom. <laughs> yes. They get out of the party having been given $45. Yeah,
2: the, the guy's there and this guy that um that chris has met they like i think they kind of take up a collection and they managed to pull together yeah it's bucks. like
3: hey these people are in trouble who can who can pitch a few dollars yeah. and they get 45 total
2: so yeah this is kind of like this college party is a little rivendell or something on this it journey. is
3: but and not only that but uh uh this uh this guy that chris is kind of hitting it off with drives them in his car over to the garage yeah
2: yeah, where they finally see the car that they hadn't seen since it was on Pruitt's uh, tow truck and they meet Dawson.
3: Dawson. <laughs> who has kind of the most awesome entrance oh, for good reason. Absolutely. Because he's there in his in his shirt with a hammer in hand, these long leather from boots. working on the car.
2: He's descending on a lift shrouded in steam and his blonde hair yes. flowing. Yeah, Vincent did have long
0: blonde hair. Yes. And
3: <laughs> it, it, that's the most wild thing. But it's it's Sarah immediately. <gasps> it's Thor.
2: It, and it's great because we see that we get to recognize this if you know who Thor is in 1987. We recognize And you've this seen
3: all the pictures in her room true. at the
2: start instant before
3: all the- she does. Thor Thor! it's a perfect childlike wonder moment but Dawson's having none of it
2: <laughs> yes he doesn't know what they're they're she's talking about all he knows is they they owe him 40 they owe him $50 all they have is $45 uh, yeah you owe me $50 no $50 no car
3: He is very stiff, and he gets very angry at them, partially because Sarah, blabbing, tries to throw her brother under the bus to Thor about (laughs) her brother not liking Thor. Don't listen to him. He
2: said, you're a weirdo. or, (laughs) yeah,
3: Yeah, which doesn't do well. But Sarah, keeping that wonder, looking up to Dawson thinking he's Thor, offers him her winged helmet to replace the one yeah. he obviously doesn't have.
2: That's why you're not being being a hero. You don't have your magic
3: helmet. And this actually like melts yeah. Dawson's cold heart wow. in this beautiful little moment. How could it not? You're giving this to me? Wow. <laughs> There's to to reference back to a thing we've ha- we we did recently for the holidays. There's something very giving a yo yo to Burger Meister Meister Burger <laughs> about this. Oh, a wigged helmet! I used to have a winged helmet like this when I was a boy. I would do all the tricks with it. <laughs> there's some there's some
2: continuum on which somewhere between Vincent D'Onofrio as Dawson slash Thor. And Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. that's right in the middle is Vincent D'Onofrio as Burgermeister Meisterburger for a live-action Santa Claus is coming to town.
0: Oh, that would work. (laughs) That would work so well. Yeah,
3: but this this you know melts his heart, and he he says, "Okay, you know I'll take the forty-five. The car's yours. Get out of here before I rethink it." And here, kid, I've got a helmet like this at home. (laughs) (laughs) So she's playing into it and gives her back the helmet, which is perfect. But the fact that she looked up to him and was willing to give him something. Really, like, you take it that this guy has dealt with anger and difficulty and kind of all the nasty parts of Chicago that they keep running into. So this... This actual open kindness is the surprise and the thing that he appreciates.
2: Yeah, you think of it in those fable terms. This is a little bit of magic that she has that she was able to bring into this dangerous
3: kingdom and use Mm -hmm. exactly at the right time. The optimism that's made it through is something that he does not get to have much. And it's nice to have a bit of that for that moment. But.
2: They've got the car. They can go home after they theoretically pick up you know
3: Brenda or what's left of her yeah they do manage to save Brenda she hasn't been killed yet but before they do they go past the fancy restaurant that she and her boyfriend were supposed to go to today yeah. and we've all, but that's his car out front. we've
2: already learned that he drives a red sports car with so cool on the license plate
3: no yeah. if you're mistaking
2: that it's his car
3: so why is he here
0: if he canceled? Oh, he decided to take yep. a
2: different girl on this date that he had promised Chris. And Bradley
3: Whitford gets to be the most awful guy in the movie. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> we've got mobsters, we've got uh, killers, we've got gangs, but nope. Bradley Whitford, the uh, the suburban high school football guy, is the worst
3: guy in the world. Hmm. In a remarkable amount of just absolute blind rage, Chris parks the car. They just spent all of this time getting back <laughs> to march in there and go give her ex-boyfriend Mike a piece of her mind. And this is actually not her moment, though, as much as it is Brad's. Yeah, Because Brad, who's been holding on to this crush the entire time, Goes in with her, and when Chris is just so bewildered, so angry, so everything, Brad's able to say all the things he thinks is amazing about Chris, and punches Mike out in Chris's defense. And he kind of lets go of his
0: infatuation for Chris in this moment, I think
2: in defending her as a friend, not as
3: a romantic interest.
2: Right. This, this makes clear the fact that he now sees her as a person. She's not just this ethereal object of his infatuation. He has seen mm-hmm. her in so many ways over the course of this night and seen what she has done for others. He has this genuine affection and respect for her. But he still chooses not to... He, d- he does not choose violence. He oh, he doesn't. You're right. All the amazing things about Chris and how, how uh, I would like to, to punch your face in, but I won't because you're not worth it. I'm because I'm above that. It's Daryl who says, well, I'm not above that. And he kicks
3: I into forgot. a table
2: and causes a yeah. giant. The ruckus we were expecting when yeah. all this wanna- goes down in the
3: fancy French restaurant. Yep. Adventures in Babysitting, <laughs> the movie where you can see Anthony Rapp, Deck Bradley Whitford, <laughs> Mike Toddwell. So
2: <laughs> there's a name for you.
3: Absolutely.
2: But, uh, but we do get the, the satisfaction of her having connected with someone more genuine who saw her more in the, in the form of the, the guy she met at the, the college and her learning the truth about Mike and realizing that she deserves better. So that's another part of her transformation, as well as getting to mm-hmm. see Brad and Daryl take these active roles. Meanwhile, though, what has
3: Sarah been doing? Sarah's been grabbing a, grabbing a chocolate eclair and running off towards the building where her parents are at a party. Yeah,
2: she's having a great time just uh, eating an eclair she stole from the French restaurant and looking in the window of the toy store. And then running away when she sees the mobsters show up. And like you say, she runs towards the building where her, uh, her parents, uh, work, which happens to be where the event that they went to attend this night is, uh, taking place. So she
3: runs up, uh, runs in, uh, past the, uh, security and into the elevator where she hits buttons, chocolatey fingers. Marking the buttons. Yes. And she's going, the two buttons are the floor where the party is, and a floor above that that's unfinished. An under construction floor, which makes me wonder what this party's about, because it's not for the finishing of the building.
2: <laughs> I gather. Maybe it's, it's a, fun- whatever maybe it's to a fundraiser to finish <laughs> it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, it's never a get that wonderful in- set of the, the unfinished floor in a high rise with open windows that are not yet in place and things like that
3: because Sarah flees out onto the ledges of the windows of the slanted top of this Chicago skyscraper yeah. to escape the goons the the, the the main goon of the mob
2: and this is again it's it's it gets more <laughs> unbelievable here but by this time, enough strange things have happened. The assortas of led us they've sort of led us there and and it's a little more believable by the time this starts, mm-hmm. especially it's believable that Sarah would think that this is a a reasonable way to escape. yeah, she's met
3: her hero right and, she can do this.
2: and meanwhile, Chris is is having this dark moment because we've talked about how the fact through, th- through the entire movie, she has been so focused on yeah, saving Brenda, but keeping these kids safe. And And having to deal with Mike distracted her from that part of her mission. And now there's a chance to be paid
3: for it. Chris, Brad, and Daryl run up and they actually take the floor that leads them to the party.
2: Yeah, so they wind up dodging their parents not wanting to be spotted while trying to figure out where uh, where Sarah has gone
3: and luring the mob boss into the party (laughs) and then using the party as a way to escape back out after seeing Sarah on the window outside the party. (laughs) Yes. Which is just one of those brilliant scenes where it's like, you know, the parents like, Oh, Chris and Chris must've taken the kids out for ice cream. They're going to be climbing the walls (laughs) with, with, you know, from all the sugar by the end of this. And we, like, right behind them, there's their daughter climbing the side of the building in this perfect juxtaposition. I'm amazed that no one in the entire party notices.
2: Yes, they, they blocked that just right so that nobody happens to glance right. in her direction as she's there outside the window.
3: But, uh, you know, it's, it's her there and the, and the mob goon have climbed down to go grab her. But uh, Chris, Brad, and Daryl run run back to the elevator, get up a floor, and finally help retrieve Sarah with the help of a rope. Right.
2: And that's a wonderfully blocked scene there. Very tense as she's being hoisted up to safety, but she has to go right past the mobster who tried to climb out to get her. And he's sort of paralyzed with fear, but he knows this is his last chance to grab her. So he's trying that. That's a, that's a very tense scene and it's done well.
3: It is. And Sarah kind of doesn't need to have a moment of reflection, but this is one of those moments where her brave attitude did get her over her head finally. And so you kind of, if everyone has a moment where they, they learn something and they, they grow, this is possibly Sarah's like there are things you can't handle yet mm-hmm. moment
2: and that she does need her, her brother she needs. she needs her family exactly. she needs her friends she needs her babysitter
3: hmm she's not too old for this she still can rely right. on him because she's always been a little too gung-ho the entire mm-hmm. time um but they've they've gotten Sarah back and the mob boss shows up and Joe shows up and <laughs> knocks out his boss yeah, and tells them they've been chasing you for this playboy <laughs> with their info the entire time. You know, put it on the boss's body and get out of here, kids. <laughs> you know, he'll wake up later and he'll have the info, and you'll be gone. Yeah, don't so he'll be mad, but
2: he's not going to bother coming after you.
3: Exactly, which is a nice assumption. And I don't know, I don't remember if the boss noticed that Joe was the guy who knocked him out. Joe kind of takes a big risk Yeah, that is
2: a very serious risk. The the boss might make some decisions just to help maintain discipline in his organization. But again, Joe is a a criminal with a heart of gold, so he's willing to take that risk. Yeah,
3: This might be a Joe runs and gets out of the business (laughs) kind of story on the side there. Now they've got their car, they're no longer being chased. And they can go get Brenda, who tries to say she's had a (laughs) wild time that they wouldn't believe. And they make it home just before. Like uh, in a car chase. Yes. They wind up with
2: the parents wind up passing them by on the interstate and ducking so they can't be seen.
3: (laughs) Which gets little funny comments (laughs) from the parents of like, ah, these silly drivers, can you believe our kids will be on the road soon? I'm scared. They, they pull off the nothing's wrong. Right. The And no uh, and everything's the fine. instant Although the kids I,
2: jump into bed, she cleans up the kitchen, they make the house spotless seconds before the parents open the door.
3: I am a little bewildered that the response is, we got Brenda home. <laughs> like, we got Brenda, and they said, like, go home, Brenda. But go home. <laughs> like, Brenda just ran away from yeah, home. That was the point of I this? I kind of worry about
2: Brenda. They, they don't address what motivated Brenda to take such a
0: drastic step yeah
3: but that's the kind of the all, uh, all's well yep. uh, ending although there is one last bit where uh, thanks to a an extra lost piece that they left in his car the college guy comes and gets to Ask Chris out on a date and return the lost property to the address. <laughs>
2: Handsome, char- charming college boy comes
3: back. Exactly.
2: Which is a nice way to end it because it shows that as Chris has learned something, as she has moved on from, has an opportunity to move on from Mike, there are people in the world who value her.
1: Mm-hmm. And she's met
0: one. And it, and it, it, lets, it lets Brad
3: stand there and kind of nod and be yep. like yep that's where she's going that's not mine yeah. that's not me and that's okay a i'm I've grown a, little, up.
2: a little sad but that's part of acknowledging the reality
3: exactly yeah. and that's adventures in babysitting a wild ride and there's
2: so much packed into this movie it is so frenetic and yet i i can't say that any one scene seems poorly paced, seems too fast or too slow, but there's just so much piled on. And and as I said, some of that is just because it's and then and then and then and they find ways to add tech things on. It still hangs together in kind of an organic way.
3: I've got to compare it to a movie I've seen it compared to a lot. Which is the movie from one year earlier. It's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's very much of a tone and a style there. It's got a similar moment-to-moment grand adventure kind of style.
2: And that and the Chicago setting, I think those are reasons why people tend to think of it as a sort of or, or a wannabe Jan- uh, John Hughes movie. And mm-hmm. yet,
0: I can understand that, but the, the
2: essence of Ferris Bueller's Day Off is that Ferris is in control of every moment of every situation. Not, nev- yeah. not even that he planned it ahead of time. But he's, he's in control of himself and his circumstances. Everything about adventures and babysitting is that our protagonists are not in control. And it's about their responses to situations in which they are not in
3: control. Yeah. Uh, you, want, you want Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off, but we took out the breaks? <laughs> yes. That's adventures and babysitting.
2: Well, I think we might be headed for our final questions. I think we are. But uh, before we get there, just a reminder, listeners, thank you very much for listening. And if you want to support the Intermillennium Media Project, you can go to www.immproject.com, and that's where you'll find a link to our store. If you like things like, oh, coffee mugs and notebooks and T-shirts and things like that, we've got logo merchandise. We've also got, for fans of The Prisoner, we've got things for the noble sport of kosho. Ah uh, yes. And we've also got for fans of our Space 1999 episode, we've got the the perennial question, who cares about Phobos? And we've got more designs to come.
3: Exactly. Also,
2: another way to support the show is to join our Patreon, for which you'll find a link at uh, immproject.com. And that's where you will find not only uh, a way to support the show, but also a way to get more of the show, because you will get additional audio content if you join our Patreon. And you can also join at the movie club level when you will get surprise DVDs in the mail.
3: You want to be able to experience the podcast the way I do, where my dad sends something that you've not seen before and you get to watch it for the first time? That's this. (laughs)
2: but uh by far the best way to support the show is to uh to give us reviews or uh ratings and tell your friends spread the word please do let people know about the podcast and if you do want more Mm -hmm. of the podcast in addition to what's on patreon if you go to immproject.com that's where you will find all of our back episodes over a hundred of those and ian where
3: can people find you online I can be found at itemcrafting.com and as itemcrafting live on Twitch and itemcrafting on YouTube.
2: And you can find me on bymatthewporter.com. That's where you'll find links to whatever I'm doing, including the by Matthew Porter YouTube channel, where you will find my movie reviews and movie theater reviews and things like my visit to the, uh, the Roswell UFO Festival.
0: Aha. That's a fun series.
2: But now we have uh, we have our final questions about adventures and babysitting.
0: Yeah. Screen or no
2: screen?
3: I think this is a screen. I've enjoyed watching it multiple times. I will say I shared it with my lovely Jen uh, when we were watching it recently to re recording this episode soon and she I think had fun but it didn't quite land for her it can be a very subjective viewing depending on the your actual like preference in terms of humor this was it's got some very awkward and some very wild tense bewildering moments yes so it's not for everyone but i think it's an excellently done movie Mm -hmm. and it's a screen in my book
2: i would say that as well i would say screen it is not a movie that lends itself well, or or it's not a good experience to analyze the movie too much while it's going. You sort of have to just let go and ride with it, okay. and not everybody enjoys movies in that way. But if, if you can enjoy a movie in that way, I absolutely say screen. Take this ride. It's fun. Oh, and, yeah. And, and most of the people in it are charming, except the ones who are supposed to be bad guys, and they're fun bad guys as well. Exactly. So... The next question is revive reboot or rest in peace.
3: And this is where I get to reference some interesting stuff because this movie keeps having life because there was an attempted TV show. There was. Yes. In 1989, there's an unsold television pilot for CBS. It was broadcast, like, one time, and it never went anywhere. But there was a planned show, which I don't know how you do that with this movie. I
2: I do not know how that would work, how you could sustain that. Maybe they weren't going to try to have anything like these stories. They were just going to have the characters. But I don't know how you sustain that for a sequel, let alone a TV
3: series. Yeah, but this is a movie that keeps getting replanned. Because it's owned by Disney, yeah. and they love having movies like this to be able to work with for future things. So there was plans for a TV movie remake, starring raven Simone, starring Lily Cyrus. It's one of these projects that they kept cycling Disney stars through. And eventually, they did make, in 2016, a remake, kinda, of Adventures in Babysitting. Huh.
2: I have not seen that. I was vaguely aware that it existed, but I haven't seen it.
3: But I've read reviews and assessments of it, and it's completely different. The setup of babysitters going into the city and having an adventure is there, but it's two babysitters with two groups of kids. In... Post-cell phone age, which really changes stuff. Yeah. And it's a movie where $50 isn't the problem, but there's an entire $100 plot. Because the amount of money it costs to do a thing (laughs) has risen so much in that amount of time. And this was the hundredth Disney Channel original movie. Which means Adventures in Babysitting 2016 has this Weird spot of being this grand culmination of the Disney original, the Disney Channel original movies, which is this long running series of almost its own subgenre of cinema at this point. Wow. Yeah. The fact that this remake that has only tentative ties to its origin and this long history of being started up and not going anywhere spinning its wheels in pre-production until they were using completely different people has this grand spot is this weird piece of legacy that almost feels disconnected from the thing it's a remake of that is odd to give that kind of
2: position to a movie that struggled to be made and apparently didn't make a big impact you would almost think they would want to make a, a surefire hit and an original property an original movie as that 100th movie spot and say well no let's mm-hmm. save
3: this one for 101 or 102 but yeah they, they did a marathon for of like 53 disney channel original movies culminating in the 100th one wow. over memorial day weekend because they made a big deal of it but it's a very different thing yeah. and it apparently was successful enough as that but it's not the same kind of movie,
2: and I'm trying to think if, if it has any stylistic or plot connection to the original. Once you're in the world of cell phones, never mind the world mm. of kids having or people certainly kids who are old enough to be, uh, you know, high school seniors having emergency credit cards or something. But even just the cell phones, the only way to drive a plot like that is to either take away the cell phone, which you can contrive to do, or just use the kind of sitcom trope of choosing not to communicate even when it's a life and death situation. And that changes things too much because then yeah. it's suddenly it's a choice. Pro- it's not a circumstance you're reacting to.
3: From what I know, they do the get rid of their phones by having kind of two different, instead of one babysitting crew, they've got two and they wind up having the main characters accidentally swap phones. Huh. So part of it is that I don't have mine, so I don't have access.
2: Well, that at least is interesting. At least
3: they do something. Yeah. It's a very different kind of thing, but they're doing something with it. Yeah. And there's this intertwining. Imagine if uh, Deborah had her own babysitting group <laughs> Yeah, and her interludes were an entire parallel adventure story huh. and then interweave the two as they go through. That's what we're dealing with here.
2: Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go out of my way to, to see that, but yeah, maybe they did find an interesting way
3: forward with the story. Mm-hmm. So that leaves us with revive, reboot, or rest in peace. Yeah. I will say one thing of reboot or rev- uh, revive or something mm-hmm. here. There is a very funny thing. Adventures in Babysitting is a movie that heavily features the concept of Thor and <sighs> is a movie that has a post-credits scene (laughs) yes it does this thing is early marvel (laughs) because after all the credits are done we see the mob goons still stuck on the side of the tower so really worried that no one's going to get him so are you saying the world
2: of adventures and babysitting has a marvel multiverse number we just don't know what it is
3: i think it might be part of the marvel cinematic universe Ah, yeah it's just Happens to be one where no one actually interacts, like, and we already know as Guardians interacted with the Marvel Cinematic World earlier before the Thor movie came out. So <laughs> this could explain yeah, stuff. Earth for 6, all we 1, 4 know. And a half maybe or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: I like that. It's a proto Marvel movie. Well, if they ever do a another remake or anything like that, they've got to have got to cast Hemsworth. They've got to have Chris Hemsworth as Dawson. That alone would be worth a remake
3: (laughs) doing a remake and you can even do like they did the 2016 remake and use a different plot honestly (laughs) but if you include dawson and cast hemsworth all of the fans of the original will go it's that they did the thing that would be perfect which would be
2: kind of perfect well i'm not going to expect that but that it it would be cool Yeah, so I don't, like, I don't know if I need a reboot. Yeah, barring that, I would say rest in peace. This is such, it now plays as a period piece, but it holds up well as a good period
3: piece. It's a period piece of the 80s. I agree. I have, interestingly, though, from our most recent, from my most recent viewing, I thought up a revival I'd be interested in seeing. Oh, yeah? Yes. Which is, I'd be fascinated to see the story of Joe, huh. the former car thief, on the run now, fleeing the mob he betrayed. Oh, that's And who do we and who do we pair him with? Brenda, the girl trying to run away from home, finally having a driver to get her out of there. It's kinda doing a bandit <laughs> smoky and kind of doing Smokey and the bandit with car thieves as this buddy roads a road escape where they're both <laughs> running away but in one way or another like brenda really should go back and joe knows that but joe can't go back for his own risk but he's too nice of a guy to not try to spend the time figuring out a way to convince brenda to not run away and there's this, like, I kind of wanted to put those two together because I feel like there's a, so, there's a, a spin-off story of an adventure those two could have done. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I, I would it, be down for that. I would watch I'd that. be down for that, too. <laughs> It'd be interesting. But it's also not Adventures in Babysitting. No, it's a completely yes. separate story with a tangential <laughs> connection. But it was an interesting enough idea. I wanted uh. to pitch it. Adventures, and but most boosting. of it's rest. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. But uh, in the end, I think it is a rest in peace. I think so. But it's a loving one again.
2: The fact that it gives us these ideas to think about is is
3: part of the yeah. There's rest in peace that we give that are like no yeah. one, please don't. <laughs> but just put that no. over there and leave it alone forever. Exactly. <laughs> not, that's but not this mm-hmm. one. That's not this. Yeah. This is a this is a fun one, but it does its thing well. Yep. So this was fun. I was glad I got a a chance to see this
2: again and got a chance to show it to you again.
3: Fun film. Always
2: fun to go back to the 80s. We're going to go back a little bit farther next time, but we, we will indeed be back with more tales of media from the 20th century. And in the meantime, go find
0: something new to watch. Man, am I up late.